Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod and Mike Murphy. So, Murphy, here we are. The day after another great debate, <laughs> Lincoln and Douglas. Yeah, contest uh, of champions, you know, boy, oh, boy. I'll, I'll tell you, I don't know yeah. about you, but I was reaching for the no-dos. Maybe it's just watching the hearings, but it was a debate in which not a lot happened, which is probably good for some of them. Yeah, no, listen, first of all, I have to admit, I think I have some sort of impeachment impairment in that I'm so, like, I can't even watch an event. Uh, you know, I'm like, where's Jim Jordan? Where's Devin? Where's, where's all the, <laughs> where are all the foils? Where are all the, it, you know, the, the impeachment stuff has really kind of sapped my, my appetite for this. So I, I, I went into the debate a little low energy. I have to, ma- I have to admit, but I think the debate itself was kind of low energy. Yeah. I, uh, I thought of the five, this one was the, the least energetic debate. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't really trust my judgment on this because I'm the same. So I'm watching the impeachment hearings. Yeah. I don't really trust your judgment. Well, either. You, should, anyway, go ahead. you should, particularly, I'll, I'll tell you the other reasons. So I'm impeachment hearings all day. I'm screaming at the television. I literally tweeted that when Devin Nunes started to talk, now we're going to see what 83 IQ points on the attack sounds like. I mean, you give me an idea of my, uh, you know. But then, just because of the private hell I'm living in, I get to turn on a, a what seemed like a five-hour auction of uh, class warfare and left-wing uh, silliness. So by the end of it, I was I was literally <laughs> ready to go take hostages somewhere or something. So I've had a couple hours of sleep, and I think if I had a debate headline, I would agree with you, kind of the least interesting, which is good news for Pete Buttigieg and Elizabeth Warren, because they're both holding a lot of cards now in the early states, and I didn't see anything happen to change that. We can grind through the candidates, but that would be my headline. Well, first of all, we haven't seen the audience yet. My guess is that the audience may have been down, but we will see about that. But that would contribute to your uh, analysis. You know, I actually thought it was a pretty good night for three women on the platform. There were four women moderators, and I, there was a pretty good night for three women on the platform. I thought Elizabeth Warren had a, a, a decent night, unlike the last debate when she was under attack and didn't handle the Medicare for All question very well. I thought that she did very well in this debate. She seemed comfortable. She introduced bio uh, in a couple of places, at least one, which I think is really imperative for her because she has to take, as we've discussed a lot of times, she has to take the, the, the sort of sheen off of the Harvard professor deal and make people understand that she's actually had a, you know, she came up through a hard scrabble route and, uh, she's got three brothers who were, who were military veterans and she has a very rooted American story. But I thought she, she generally did well. I thought that, uh, Amy Klobuchar had a decent night and I think that Kamala Harris maybe had her best debate last night. It may be too late. Uh, but she had her best debate last night. Pete was adequate. He was fine. He did well enough. But I thought the the women shone last night in the debate to the extent that there were winners. Yeah, my my view was that out there, I think in the campaign under the attacks on the Medicare for all and the cost and all that, Warren is kind of plateaued. Now she's plateaued in a pretty strong position. I mean, most of them would be lucky to be plateaued there, but she's lost a little altitude. 
And I was surprised that what was hurting her wasn't prosecuted more last night. I, I thought the moderators did a good job, of course, on the world's finest news organization, NBC, which I smile at when I see my paychecks with the logo on. That said, I thought there were a lot of softball questions last night. I think I think they could have pushed a little more. And I think Warren got a bit lucky. She was able to pivot into her regular class warfare and not have to defend the uh, her plan on the health care issue, which, as you said, she's had some trouble with. So I agree. I thought it, she did pretty well. Let, let's get, go to some sound on her because she had one of those more personalized, more emotional, not the Harvard policy machine moments when she talked about immigration. You know, when I found out that our government was actually taking away children from their families, I went down to the border. I went down there immediately. I was in McAllen, Texas. And I just hope everyone remembers what this looks like. There's like a giant Amazon warehouse filled with cages of women, cages of men, and cages of little girls and little boys. I spoke to a woman who was in the cage of nursing mothers, and she told me she'd given a drink to a police officer, and that the word had come down from the gangs that she was helping the police. She knew what that meant. She wrapped up her baby and she ran for the border. We need to treat the people who come here with dignity and with respect. A great nation does not separate children from their families. We need to live our values at the border every single day. Yeah, that was powerful. That was powerful. It wasn't personal to her, but it was. It showed a humanity, right, exactly. and uh, and that was powerful. Again, I think she was comfortable throughout the debate. One interesting thing is at the beginning, she was asked, I think, a very good question. I, I, Andrea Mitchell may have posed it to her, and it was about something that we've talked about here. That that this is a, a nation that is riven right now, and she clothes everything in the uh, or often in the language of war of, of battle yeah. of fighting and could she make the transition to a healing uh, kind of leadership she sort of navigated around that and said that if we treat people uh, fairly and equally then you're going to have more unity in the uh, in the country she even took an impeachment question that she was asked about uh, ambassador Sondland or I guess she was asked about impeachment generally, and she gave her normal impeachment answer, which is the president is guilty of impeachable offenses. But then she talked about Sondland and talked about how he bought himself an ambassadorship for a million-dollar contribution to the inaugural committee, which may turn out to be a bad deal for both sides. <laughs> and she said, this is what's wrong with our system. People aren't going to buy ambassadorships in my administration. And, she, you know, she went back to big money and its corrupting influence in Washington. So she was on message last night. I think Elizabeth Warren had a decent night last night. Yeah, I only worry that when she gets rid of the checkbook ambassadors, we're, we're going to go raid the faculty lounges of every elite college. Uh, I don't know if it'll be every every all that much better. I, I don't mind a few successful car dealers being ambassadorships. So Sunland, of course, is no role model. So how about Pete? He, I think he had a couple of things to do last night. Uh, one was withstand the onslaught. Well, it never really came. Big lottery win for him. I thought right. it was kind of. I was shocked by yeah, that. Yeah, you know, you would have thought. Weren't you surprised? Yes, and though I was amused because at the end of the debate, it's almost like a couple of them looked at their watch and thought, "Oh hell, I forgot. We got to do a mugging on him." It was interesting to me because the moderators clearly wanted to foment some of the attacks, as often happens in these yeah. debates. You invite people to give their criticisms of the of a of of a front runner and so they asked Amy Klobuchar about her comments and they uh, about Pete and they asked 
Kamala Harris about her comments about Pete and both initially sort of balked. We'll get back to that. But yeah, he, he, I thought got off easy last night for a guy who just got two polls, one in Iowa and one in New Hampshire that showed him with substantial leads, shockingly with substantial yep. leads. You would have thought they would have played whack-a-mole with him last night, but he got off uh, relatively unscathed. But let's listen to the sound. Yeah, let, let's start with the uh, the bite where Amy pulled out the meanest thing you can say in the mind of a senator, which is, you are nothing but a, wait for it, local official. So that was a great exchange. <laughs> Mayor, I have all appreciation for your good work as a local official, and you did not when you tried. I also have actually done this work. I think experience should matter. Mayor Buttigieg, I'll let you respond to that. So first of all, Washington experience is not the only experience that matters. There's more than 100 years of Washington experience on this stage. And where are we right now as a country? So I think uh, Pete won that one. It was like a Jackie Chan movie. He kind of knew the, the thing was coming, and he had a whole routine ready. He did. He did. And his, you know, he had a go-to line there about Washington, which is always a winner when you're talking to America. You know, he clearly was laying on the pitch, and there was a reason for it because Amy sort of tipped in advance what her critique was going to be. And he was ready. If I had one criticism of Pete last night, is he seemed at times overprepared. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it was exacerbated, by the way. Did it strike you that, that the uh, producers were shooting these candidates very, very tight last night? Yeah, in fact. They were all in a... Yes, it's interesting because I, I watched it with a bunch of, you know, professional left-wing Democratic primary voters in L.A., some of whom work in the TV business. You know, you and I both directed a million spots, and I remarked to somebody early, boy, HD and these tight choke shots might be okay for TV drama, but they're not so great for the candidates. I mean, Steyer had something going on with a lower tooth that was driving me crazy. And, and again, I've got to navigate this one carefully. Don't send all angry mail to David Axelrod at the Chicago Institute of Politics. But I thought Biden had the waxworks problem a little bit. But Amy was unlucky because a lot of her content was pretty good last night as it's been before. But part of the bangs in front of her were either caught in an air conditioning crosswind or she yeah. was she was had this tremor. I, I think it might have been just the the one bang moving created the appearance of a tremor, but it was really distracting. And kind of the civilians I was watching with were talking about it all night. I actually got uh, text text about that, you know. And I think that the re- rehearsed nature of some of Pete's stuff was accentuated by the tightness yeah. uh, of the shot. I don't think the way the thing was covered by the cameras was helpful to anybody but anyway he was re- he was laying on that pitch and i think that he scored you know he scored just there. quickly in the equal opportunity offending department to cut down on the angry mail i thought pete for the first time so salute to the pete makeup department they finally got the nixon five o'clock shadow under decent control because that's the thing with him they've all got a a thing and that that hd choke shot d- does make it work and i agree by the way that Pete's problem is he's a little bloodless. He's you know, still chairman of the audit committee. If he could just get a little, even of that Warren level emotional connection, he would he would yeah. really be unstoppable. Uh, my my complaint in the past has been that he treats these debates like uh, town hall meetings where there happen to be nine candidates standing around him, <laughs> and he's yeah. just you know. But now, uh, and I think he reverted a little to that. But he scored with that. He also knew that there was an attack coming. It did come. 
from Kamala Harris relative to race. And this, as we've discussed, is his fundamental challenge in this campaign. He's getting virtually no black support and he's going to have to have it. You know, if he if these polls hold up and he comes out of Iowa and New Hampshire, he's going to run into a wall in South Carolina. And the question is, uh, you know, can he uh, relate? And they had a um, they had an interesting exchange. For too long, I think, candidates have taken for granted constituencies that have been the backbone of the Democratic Party and have overlooked those constituencies. Because when black women, when black women are three to four times more likely to die in connection with childbirth in America, when the sons of black women will die because of gun violence more than any other cause of death, when black women make 61 cents on the dollar as compared to all women who tragically make 80 cents on the dollar, the question has to be, where you been and what are you going to do? And do you understand who the people are? And I'm running for president because I believe that we have to have leadership in this country who has worked with and have the experience of working with all folks. That is how we are going to win this election, and I intend to win. Senator Harris, thank you. Mayor Buttigieg, your response to that? My response is I completely agree. And I welcome the challenge of connecting with black voters in America who don't yet know me. And before I share what's in my plans, let me talk about what's in my heart and why this is so important. As mayor of a city that is racially diverse and largely low income, for eight years I have lived and breathed the successes and struggles of a community where far too many people live with the consequences of racial inequity that has built up over centuries but been compounded by policies and decisions from within living memory. I care about this because my faith teaches me that salvation has to do with how I make myself useful to those who have been excluded, marginalized, and cast aside and oppressed in society. And I care about this because while I do not have the experience of ever having been discriminated against because of the color of my skin, I do have the experience of sometimes feeling like a stranger in my own country, turning on the news and seeing my own rights come up for debate and seeing my rights expanded by a coalition of people like me and people not at all like me, working side by side, shoulder to shoulder, making it possible for me to be standing here wearing this wedding ring in a way that couldn't have happened two elections ago, lets me know just how deep my obligation is to help those whose rights are on the line every day, even if they are nothing like me in their experience. It was a bit rote. I mean, he clearly had rehearsed it, and it came across a bit like that. But the bigger thing is I'm not sure how the African-American community is going to receive the analogy that he drew. And he was he was careful to say he, he couldn't speak to the experience of people of color and the discrimination they've undertaken. But Kamala Harris on CNN after the debate was very tough on him about this and said, you know, I don't want I don't want to get into comparing the struggles of people. And then she said, you know, and she described what the African-American experience in this country had, has been going back 400 years. And there, there is sensitivity in the African-American community about drawing those kinds of comparisons. And I wonder how it's going to be received in the African-American 
community. I think it was heartfelt. I think it, it was not meant to offend, but I suspect that he may have offended. Yeah, I don't know. I um, I think if he comes out of Iowa and New Hampshire top two with momentum, as long as he's not up against an African-American candidate, should a Deval Patrick come to light or Cory Booker get that late surge that we've all wondered about or Kamala come back to life – I think if he looks like the guy with momentum and he's a Trump beater and he goes down there and works, he is going to be able to navigate the South Carolina primary. And he's got the gift now of extremely low expectations there. So, But without that rocket fuel in New Hampshire, then I agree, it would be a cold start out of nothing. You know, I saw that afterwards. She did work him over. But in the debate, the key moment, she was quite gentle with him. Maybe. I think he was uh, lucky that no, that she didn't pull the pull the reverb on that. Uh, I don't know if reverb's the right <laughs> word, but you know what no, I'm no, talking she, about. No, no, she, it was a gentle hockey bump. I, do we owe Amy her best bite? Because we just went through the, the vibrating uh, head optical illusion or reality, whatever it was. She did yeah. have one great bite pulled right out, I would assume, of her stump speech because it was proven and polished. But she got, you know, the, the, not the hardest pitch in the world about, gee, you think it might be time for, you know, can we have a, a female first president? And, and she was ready on that one. I don't think you have to be the tallest person on this stage to be president. I don't think you have to be the skinniest person. I don't think you have the loudest voice on the stage. I don't think that means that you will be the one that should be president. I think what matters is if you're smart, if you're competent, and if you get things done. I am the one that has passed over a 100 bills as the lead Democrat in that gridlock of Washington in Congress on this stage. I think you've got to win. And I am the one, Mr. Vice President, uh, that has been able to win every red and purple congressional district as the lead on a ticket every time. I govern both with my head and my heart. And if you think a woman can't beat Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi does it every single day. That was good. That was a great Proud moment. Mother. I thought she did well. I agree with you. There is a a kind of uh, accessibility that she has that, you know, you feel like you can talk to her and that she's a real person. And that came across there. You know, I think those are her key message points right there. That's the essence of her appeal, that she's a, a Midwestern moderate who has broad appeal, who can win, that she would be, uh, you know, obviously it would be historic. She also said at a, a, another point that uh, it was when she was asked about saying if she had Buttigieg's experience, she wouldn't be on that stage. And she talked about the historic uh, barriers to women. And she said, if that weren't the case, we could be playing the game. Who's your favorite woman president up here? But we can't because there are none. I thought that she was really good. I have to say, it to personally, whenever someone run in the Senate talks about passing 100 bills, my teeth kind of clench. Her folks say that is actually a big plus for her, that uh, in their research, uh, people really uh, respond to the fact that she's someone who could get something done in this very, very difficult environment. So they obviously thought she was scoring points there. Hey, you mentioned Cory Booker. Once again, and I would say he's been as consistent a performer in any debate he did well. Very well. In fact, in the, the CNS has this little focus group they do. You probably, you may have seen that after the, uh, debate in Iowa and they assemble the same people each time who I think have figured out as long as they stay undecided, they get on TV and a free meal. <laughs> yeah. But they all loved, you know, Amy and Booker. Mm. And what's interesting to me is, uh, Booker, Klobuchar, obviously Buttigieg, 
and Biden, who we'll talk about in a second, they're all sort of in that same lane, that kind of moderate lane that has been demeaned in sort of Washington analysis, but actually is the broadest lane in the Democratic electorate, voters who call themselves moderate or somewhat liberal. The question is, why does Booker keep doing so well in debates and and it never translates? He's hovering down closer to zero than 10 in uh, in polling in Iowa and in New Hampshire and Nashville. Yeah, it is the great wonderment of this thing. I mean, I get why my friend Michael Bennett, who I think would be terrific uh, in the general election to beat Trump, hasn't been able to break through. But Cory Booker is such a performer, and I thought he had one of his very best debates last night. Yet, at least so far, the wheels have not turned. Now, my old theory on it was he has kind of an observational message. You know, the communitarian stuff, what's not working. It's not a make me your champion, I will go do this. And he got closer to that last night. But uh, my new theory is I have no damn idea. It just ought to be working better for him, uh, but it's not. And he's, you know, on oxygen. He had to finish with an appeal to please let me even be in the next debate because when he loses debate, he's not qualified for the December debate stage. Yeah. Well, I think the, you know, he's got two problems. Not only is he struggling to get in the next debate, but every one of these senators is facing the uh, problem that they will be bound to their desks in Washington, as we've talked about before uh, during this impeachment impeachment hearing. Booker had this exchange with, uh, <laughs> or, or the trial in the Senate, I should yeah. say. Booker had this exchange with Joe Biden. And let's listen to the exchange, but then let's talk about the VP. You know, for a guy who's been in front every poll, he's always kind of like, oh, yeah, he was there too. Yeah. Uh, so we need we need to talk about that. But uh, yeah, let's, let's go to this to great exchange. Cheech and Chong moment right now first. <laughs> I have a lot of respect uh, for for the vice president. He is uh, swore me into my office as a hero. This week, I hear him literally say that I don't think we should legalize marijuana. I I, I, I thought you might have been high when you said it. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, because because marijuana. Marijuana in our country is already legal for privileged people. And it's one, the war on drugs has been a war on black and brown people. And so let me just, let me just say this. With more African Americans under criminal supervision in America than all the slaves since 1850, do not roll up into communities and not talk directly to issues that are going to relate to the liberation of children because there are people in Congress right now that admit to smoking marijuana while there are people, our kids are in jail right now for those drug crimes. And so these are the kind of issues that mean a lot to our community. And if we don't have somebody authentically, we lost the last election. Vice President Biden, you can respond to that. I'll be very brief. Number one, I think we should decriminalize marijuana, period. And I think everyone, anyone who has a record should be let out of jail. Their records expunged. It'd be completely zeroed out. But I do think it makes sense, based on data, that we should study what the long-term effects are for the use of marijuana. That's all it is. Number one, everybody gets out, record expunged. Secondly, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm part of that, that Obama coalition. I come out of the black community in terms of my support. If you notice, I have more people supporting me in the black community than announced for me because they know me. They know who I am. So Booker's gig Biden a couple of times in these debates. That was a that was a good line. That was very good. And yeah. obviously pissed Biden off. It does underscore 
one of the problems that Biden has is he he seems like he's from another time. You know, when he got into an exchange with Tom Steyer, of all people, about climate change, you know, he talked about the climate change work he had done in the 1980s. And, you know, it's just there there is there is this lingering question as to whether he is a man of the of this yeah. moment and whether he's he's up to this you know it was telling to me i think just on a i'm a big fan of watch the big moments with the sound turned off because then you can read the tension and and joe got mad uh he was scowling at the camera and i thought in some ways just in the nonverbal world which is important a devastating moment for him i mean he he'd been typical biden kind of verbal pratfalls and then a recovery kind of careening his way through surviving but not excelling or moving forward but then this happened and the whole audience is laughing and they went to a reaction shot of kamala harris with a huge laugh, a, her winning smile, clearly having the most fun she's had in her campaign, just experiencing that Well, moment. she was smiling because he said, right. he, he, yeah. you know, this was another question, but he talked about being the, uh, he talked about having the support of the only African-American woman ever elected right. to the and U.S. Senate. Right, and they both Senate. were howling at Carol Mosley Braun. And it was, it was a real <laughs> grandpa doesn't get it moment that was, powerful and revealed in the subtext and visually all the weaknesses of Biden's candidate. Plus, Biden is doing what you never do on television, which is get mad and stare at the camera because then, you know, it's like he's mad at us at home. He's given us the look. So that thing I thought was a three-dimensional train wreck for Joe. Having said all that, having said all that, he hasn't had a good debate yet. Yeah. Okay, he really he's hasn't survived had a, good a couple, yet. but he's, he's never he's, won or controlled one. Right. You never came out and said, man, Biden yeah. really seized control of this. And yet, he continues to sit atop the national polls. Uh, he has been sliding a bit in Iowa and New Hampshire. There is an enthusiasm issue. But I, I wonder whether it's time to acknowledge that, you know, he, he can't be discounted in this thing. And I think partly he's got a base, and that base is among African Americans and uh, among non-college educated whites. There's a big traffic jam in the uh, college-educated lane, you know, with Buttigieg and Warren and uh, some some of the other candidates. But Biden has an advantage in the, in the other lanes. Bernie competes with him for some of the uh, for some of the non-college whites, you know, he has some durability He's here. And that. I said last night on TV, mm-hmm. he could, you know, we, we should at least allow for the possibility that he might Mr. Magoo his way through this thing. I mean, we, every time he steps on a stage, you're wondering whether he's going to drive into a wall. But he's still in his car. He's still driving forward. Yeah, I don't know. I I agree he's had that, but it's all driven by national polls, and it might be telling us more about national polls than about Joe Biden. Because in the competitive markets where people are getting heavy exposure to other options, he's not doing so well. So I don't know if the polls are a resilient reality of Biden that's going to take the news of he finishes third or fourth in Iowa, unless he has a comeback. And same in New Hampshire. So the polls are kind of the ghost of Biden, and the reality of Biden is out getting the new reality, not the fond memories of Obama years, is getting worked over in the early states. But I just think if he doesn't win early, I would not underestimate how quickly those national name ID driven numbers are going to evaporate. But, you know, South Carolina yeah, could prove well, me that's wrong. That's the danger. But it is fraught, there's no doubt. I mean, he is a tenuous, tenuous front runner, if you could call him a front runner, I think. 
you know, you, you may not be able to do that. But I just want to give him his due. There is some, du- he's shown some durability. Yeah, fair enough. Everybody keeps waiting for the wheels to come off. It may not happen at all, or it may not happen until mm-hmm. uh, the, these early, this early state voting. There's certainly, though, uh, a lot of voting takes a lot voting. of loose lug nuts now in the floor of Iowa, and we'll see if Peter Elizabeth can close that deal. So we've got to finish up the candidates with a coveted hacks on tap, unscripted quip. Great funny moment of the debate award to the one and only Andrew Yang. Yeah, man. He uh, got asked uh, what he would say in his first phone call with Vladimir Putin after winning the election. And he uh, thought about it for a second and he let fly with uh, with this line. Well, first I'd say I'm sorry I beat your guy. <laughs> I'm not sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you got to hand it to him. I, I love Yang. Me too. I, I think Yang I is uh, is such a uh, free spirit up there. He's smart, and he has some uh, substantively important things to say, but he also is free and easy up there. And that was a great line on the fly, I thought. Yeah, he's a smart uh, so guy. Good on, good on you, Andrew Yang. Yeah, exactly. We give you the award for being a human in the right moment, and uh, – Hopefully he did himself some good with that. I mentioned the Iowa poll uh, in the register. Pete Buttigieg at 25. Uh, I think he had a nine-point lead over Elizabeth Warren. It was a stunning poll. St. Anselm's, uh, he had a similar lead over uh, Warren uh, and Biden in uh, in New Hampshire. Uh, Sanders was behind. In those same polls, you had candidates who were languishing near zero in both places who are on life support. One of them was Kamala Harris. She had a great performance last night, I thought, for her her best debate performance. She's also running an ad in uh, – and I don't know if you've seen the I ad. Have. But I have. let's listen to the, the uh, audio of that ad. Sick of this? Well, think about this. He's a world leader in temper tantrums. She never loses her cool. She prosecuted sex predators. He is one. Grab him by the – she shut down for-profit colleges that swindled Americans. He was a for-profit college. At Trump University, we teach success. Literally. He's owned by the big banks. She's the attorney general who beat the biggest banks in America and forced them to pay homeowners $18 billion. He's tearing us apart. She'll bring us together. This is Trump. And in every possible way, this is the anti-Trump. So if that's what you're looking for in your next president, there's really only one, Kamala. So she's going right at Trump in a really creative way. And it struck me that that's the kind of ad that could actually cut through. I don't know. At this point, there's no history that one can go from three points in Iowa at this juncture to uh, to actually placing in the top three positions that which where she needs to land but that's the kind of ad that will get attention yeah i don't know if they have the dollars to push it through in a crowded environment but look she she had a good night this is the effective kamala we've seen before and we've also seen gone you know go away it was weird often she sounds to me just the sound of her like a a wealthy woman who's angry at a waiter it's kind of this low, unhappy tone. Last night was the opposite of that. She really finally found her voice, and it's late, and the resources are scarce, but we'll find out. We'll find out, and I would feel good if I were her that I am 
finishing the sprint of the race, actually sprinting and not getting in my own way like she had before. So we've got a huge impeachment, I don't know what to call it, kabuki TV show of huge import to talk about. But first, I think we have to pay some bills. X, I know that uh, it's been many years since this and many of our listeners don't know, but I remember your old nightclub act, David Axelrod and his magic accordion. Yes which has led me to our next sponsor here. Did you know that as many as 7 out of 10 adults wish they played a musical instrument? Unfortunately, many never do because they think it's either too late for them to start too expensive or they don't have the time. Well, musician is the... So what do you do about that? Well, here I've got the answer because I think I might pick up the cello again uh, and and go back on the concert (laughs) tour. And, of course, with your accordion act, we could get a whole band going. Musician is an online music education platform rethinking... The way people learn music. Yep, it's the fun, easy, affordable way that you can you can learn guitar, piano, bass, ukulele, even singing. Murphy, think about it. <laughs> Just download the app to your desktop, tablet, or phone and start playing. Musicians' award-winning technology actually listens to you play and gives real-time feedback on timing and accuracy. No need for chords or special equipment. With Musician, you'll learn to play your favorite songs faster than ever. And have fun doing it. You know, this really appeals to me because, true story, I've been on the campaign trail twice, and I was in rural South Dakota one time. This happened twice. And late at night, I go to the hotel, and they say, oh, I love your song, Wildfire. There's a country artist named Michael Murphy. And I kind of looked at her. We'll give you a big upgrade. And then I said, oh, thanks. Well, you know, I wrote that one on the road in my tour bus. (laughs) And I thought I could pull that racket off a lot more if I could actually get out the old guitar and strum a couple of numbers. So musician would be perfect to help me, particularly if you're just starting out. You can enjoy thousands of popular songs, expertly crafted lessons and exercises across dozens of genres. You even learn musical theory, sheet reading, and tablature too. And compared to private lessons, Usysen is much more affordable and lets you learn on your own schedule because it's online-based. If So if you're wanting to learn an instrument or simply want some help getting back to playing, like Murphy and his cello, check out Musician. You can get an extended 14-day free trial of their Premium Plus package at musician.com slash play. That's unlimited lessons and unlimited songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. That's unlimited lessons and unlimited songs on as many instruments as you want for two whole weeks. It's fun. It's online. You can get at it 24-7. And I actually do have a piano. I fake it on a little bit. I may look into this myself to try to sharpen up. So just go to Musician. Dot com slash play to start your free trial today. And because we know our audience, we're going to spell this out for you. That's Y-O-U-S-I-C-I-A-N dot com slash play. Axel, see you out there on the music trail. All right. Okay, now let's let's turn yeah. to the uh, impeachment. Wow, what a show. I've been glued to the TV. How about you, Axel? Yeah, man. I told you, I, it cheapened the whole debate <laughs> experience for me because... Uh, the uh, impeachment hearings are such good TV. What's been interesting to me about it is it seems like Democrats are trying to lay the groundwork for impeachment methodically laying out a case. And I think they've done uh, pretty well with it. Republicans are doing what you do when you don't have a very good case, which is they're going tribal. Yeah. And as much as possible, they're trying to make the whole thing out to be a bloodless coup with no foundation and they're summoning uh, everyone to stay on the reservation. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. I'm reminded of the old story 
um, alleged story about the first electric dynamo delivered on the docks of uh, Constantinople under the Sultan. These two Scottish engineers had a big crate, and they sent somebody down from the palace who read English to look at them. The, the Sultan's man read the crate and immediately went nuts and had the local soldiers behead both of the Scott engineers because in English on the crate, this machine makes 1,000 revolutions a minute. So we're, the, the facts don't count. It's all context of tribal traitorism. I mean, I, I was watching that. I thought Jim Jordan might pull out a sock puppet. They got nothing. They got nothing. And by the way, I think yeah, we but he's there kicking. for a reason. You know, they put him on that. They put him on that committee for just that reason, though. I mean, he's like a human fog machine. <laughs> That's his role there. I mean, he literally is a designated hitter to try and muck up the waters here. But you know what? I think it's doing Republicans a big disservice because Trump doesn't want to give any quarter here. He wants to continue to insist that his call was perfect. There was nothing wrong with it. The bailout position for Republicans is to say, hey, what he did sucked. It was wrong. It was bad. But it's not impeachable. And there's an election coming. So let's decide it there. That's where I think a lot of your friends in the Senate are going to land. I know you're still hoping for (laughs) some sort of enlightenment there. Uh, You never let that one go. Um, (laughs) You should be hoping for that, too, as a loyal and patriotic American. But no, no, you're right. Look, their best argument is, all right, voters, you've seen everything. You decide. You're the jury. And that... That'll give them some cover, but as this thing careens out of control, but you can't do it. You can't do it if you if you yeah. are, you know go to the mattresses and say everything you did was fine. This is all a hoax and a farce. It clearly isn't a hoax and a farce. We've seen a parade of pretty credible witnesses who have. If this were in a court, uh, you know, I think that the jury would be pretty well convinced by now. Yeah, no, I look, I think um, this is going to turn into the Republican Senate cover-up because uh, after Sondland decided to go canary and and, and fess up, it's now about Trump and the senior people. They're in the middle of it. It was, in effect, bribery because they're holding back American aid that's been approved legally by Congress in exchange for a political hit job on Joe Biden. And Trump's in the middle. He's a quarterback. It does not get simpler than that. It's a simple narrative. And the political pounding there – and I, I heard some squeals of pain yesterday backstage – um, in the Republican world backstage, it, it, they're just going to turn up the heat here. And as you say, Trump doesn't give them any cover. If Trump went out and faked a big apology or something, something so they could say, yeah, the president gets it. He was wrong. But it's impossible with Trump. It's not within his range of, of uh, possibilities to do that. So he's put them uh, he's put them in a really tough spot. So here's my long term forecast. House impeaches, that seems pretty clear mm-hmm. that that's going to happen. And it's probably going to be on a partisan vote. You know, I saw Will Hurd yesterday, who I like. You know, I've done uh, an Axe Files podcast with him. He's a good guy. Uh, but he clearly has made his decision. And then he, you know, he went with a group of them later and called for shift to resign and so on. He was the guy most likely in the House because he's retiring. He's relatively independent. He's an Intel veteran, veteran of the Intel community, you thought, well, he might be someone who would go. The fact that he's not tells me no one's going on the Republican side. So it'll be a partisan vote. It will go to the Senate. The Senate will acquit him after a trial. And, you know, sadly, I think that we'll get to next November and this will be just more noise in the background of the election. 
You know, I think that is exactly the kind of stale conventional wisdom you hear around DC. <laughs> That's what we yeah, offer no, no, here, my here friend. Here we are. We're, we're unconventional. <laughs> I'm wisdom. We're conventional wisdom. We maybe get a vaudeville act going or an ice show. Um, by the way, I was pitching on Twitter and I was so disappointed though I haven't seen it today. I know they'd never do it, but New York Post would for yesterday and I wanted your crane. No, look, I think conventional wisdom is accurate. I do think the political pain is only going to get higher. Uh, I do think a few repubs might break off in the Senate, so the Dems might have the argument of majorities and both voted. Obviously, the rest were part of the Mitch McConnell cover-up. I think that'll be weaponized effectively in the elections against the Republicans. And I think the Senate majority, which is something they seem to care about more than the uh, their national duty to not have an unfit crook in the White House, that will rattle them a little. They just don't know a way out because the new symbol of the Republican Party is somebody tied up with duct tape in a chair being a political hostage to fear primary voters. So, you know. My friend Rahm Emanuel uh, is convinced that they will fall back and censure uh, the president for what yeah. he did and cut a deal. I just don't see him agreeing to that. He is, wants to demand a uh, complete exculpation, uh, which he doesn't deserve, but that's what, how he would view an acquittal. I'm not, look, you know, I feel strongly, strongly that if you don't, if this is not an impeachable offense, uh, then we should just strip it out of the Constitution and save school children the time of studying it because it doesn't mean anything. I, I believe that strongly. I don't think it should mean nothing in the election. I, what I, I just think that, that there can be a million events that intervene and it will be just one part of the tapestry. More than anything where it will hurt Trump is that I think it, it contributes to the notion of complete and utter chaos oh, around Oh, totally. Him. Yeah, I think. And we, ultimately chaos, I think, is what's going to cause people to say we can't do this for four more I years. I think you're right that other stuff will happen. But I think if the Senate does not vote to convict, which I agree is far more likely, I think Rob's on to something. I think they're going to want to vote some sort of criticism. They're going to want some sort of fig leaf, these senators are, to not just totally be pinatas being beat up for covering up an obvious, and thanks to these hearings, increasingly obvious bunch of misconduct by Trump. So I, I don't believe this thing fades away and isn't an issue. I think Trump is having the worst political scenario he could have here, and it will damage his reelect, and it will damage the Republican legislative races. The only question is how much, and will something else come that will push it aside some. But this this is turning into the world's loudest campaign commercial to not reelect Donald Trump, who's already got bad numbers. And as you well know from campaigns, when you got a candidate with bad numbers, people, it's easy to get them to believe more bad stuff. So, yes, Trump will still win a Republican primary, but uh, th- this is hurting, and it's going to hurt him more, and it's going to hurt Republicans who have this horrible baton death march they've got to go through defending him. I-, I think as we sit here today, his numbers are no worse than they were when this whole impeachment episode began. Gallup yesterday had him at 90 percent among Republicans. So it it is extraordinary how uh, stable his numbers are. They're stable at a low level, but they haven't taken a huge hit. Yeah, but we've got to let them cook. Yesterday was a big inflection point because it's the world's simplest story now. We have our John Dean. I mean, I get it. I get it's a Washington thing, but I would I would I want to see the polls in two weeks after more of the grind. All right, man. And we'll be back in two I, weeks I, because that, that's one thing we ought to do here. We're taking the holiday off. It's, 
It's turkey time. Now, I don't know if you're having some kind of kale burger over there, but I assume you're a turkey man, right? <laughs> we go full bird, All right, man. That's, full yeah, bird. You can take the Midwest out of Two nobody. of them. We got two of them. Oh, Got a big crowd coming. Two birds. Oh, excellent. Can't wait. Excellent. Yeah, and I, and I want to wish everybody out there a great and blessed Thanksgiving with your families and friends. A lot to give thanks for. And one of the things I'm thankful for is this Zany podcast. And thank you who've been listening. We are now, believe it or not, might be a computer error, X, but we've made the top two-thirds of 1% in podcast listenership. We owe it to you listeners. Thank you for those ratings on iTunes and Stitcher and all the platforms. When you give us a rating, you tell them to put us in front of more people. So uh, we're growing, and we owe that to you. And so I guess we'll be back in December, and we will see you then. See you on the other side. Thanks, pal.